because we want to lift our eyes to the Lord. To allow God to lift others through us. Because God's grace is greater than the gravity of life. Good morning. It's great to be together here one more time. And I just want to say a special welcome to those of you who are brand new today, just walking in here, uh, maybe guests for the families uh, who are celebrating baptisms or just checking the church out or joining us online. Uh, You are walking into uh, an unusual season in the life of our church. And uh, even for those of you who have been around for the last several years, but were not present for our last major Uh, ministry and stewardship initiative we called Take Root, what you're experiencing today and all the way through the next couple of weeks uh, may feel a little odd to you. And so I just want to say a little bit about the context. I think you deserve uh, to be given the benefit of that larger picture. Um, Christ Church is a is a cool place. It's a great community of people. It's a, a church that has been able to, uh, to lift up all kinds of children and teenagers and adults over many, many years, not just here within our congregation, but all across the world through our mission outreach ministries. And the reason why we have been able to do this with such vitality and, and volume uh, is, is because of three major factors. The first is unquestionably the inexplicable grace of God. I don't know why he chose to, to help the little congregation that uh, formed up the road and then gathered here in the 60s. I don't know why he chose that congregation to, to sort of grow and reach and influence our region and world the way he has, but he did. He, he poured out a grace that we could not have manufactured for ourselves, and we never forget that grace. Um, The second reason why I think we have something of the vitality that our church has right now is because of the amazing collection of people that that God has brought to this place who have stuck around, who've poured themselves out as volunteers and as leaders and as prayer people and and caregivers to others uh, in the most amazing way. And every single week, Tara Beth and I and other pastors on the staff just sort of watch in awe as this movement of, of God's grace through these dedicated people uh, touches so many people. Uh, but the third reason, and this is perhaps a little less visible, again, if you're newer to the life of the church, the third reason is because every three to seven years, this congregation has stretched. It has, it has taken a, a leap of faith. It has grown its, its giving and its investment in, in the ministries of the church in a way that enabled us to start new programs or hire staff in critical areas or or address facility needs or uh, bring down our debt profile or just underwrite at a slightly higher level the core ministries and mission of the church that enables us to go forward. We, We would not be here. We would not be experiencing so much of the good that we are, the ministries that you heard Tara about describe, were it not for that push that the congregation has made from time to time to take us up to the next level as as a ministry. So if you are a newcomer, uh, relative or or brand new, um, you've just walked into one of those defining moments. Uh, We are in a a series of reflections on, on how our generosity 
can, can move in a way that will lift the whole life of the church and its impact in the world. I need to tell you that we do not talk about money very often here except in the introduction to the offering each week. We really don't. I don't think, I think I've spoken twice in the last five years on the subject of stewardship. It just hasn't been a major focus. I may have failed you in that regard because now that we're having that conversation, you know, for some of us it's like, oh, wow, we're talking really honestly about this stuff. Um, but we are in a conversation like that. We have been for the last two weeks. We're going to do it today. We're going to continue it on for a couple more weeks to think together about what the Bible has to say about our, our faith and discipleship and how our stewardship of our resources is used by God in life-changing ways uh, in the world and in our own lives, as I hope you'll sense before we leave today. Again, why do we do this? And this, is, this part's even for the old-timers in the circle. One reason is because we believe that what we do with our resources to honor God's purposes is a major theme of the Bible and of the teaching of Jesus. Do you know that, that there are more verses in the Bible addressing the issue of what we do with our money than verses about prayer or evangelism? There are lots more by multiples that deal with the subject of stewardship because God sees it, and I'll say more about that. God sees this as such a beautiful area of life. Um, so I think I'd probably be failing you as a pastor if I did not, and our whole staff did not, call all of us to think about this stuff from time to time. The other reason why we're having this conversation is because we really need your help. Uh, I know you, it can, you can often walk into a place like this and you think, wow, this is a great show they're putting on. There must be a few really rich people covering all this for us. No, no. We're, 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 we're a community, and we just, what, what each of us does at different levels, it all comes together in this powerful way to make possible uh, what this ministry does. We want to see even more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We have a vision for helping lift 10,000 people in these coming days towards their God-given potential in the communities and the families round about us in our region and across the world. We even have a strategy for how we're gonna go about doing those things. Our leaders have prayed long and hard about this and about some specific things that we're seeking to do in these next couple of years to strengthen the base capacity that we have to minister to people in a life-changing way. And as Tara Beth mentioned, if you haven't yet gone to lifttogether.us or read your way through one of those lift booklets we've been given, please do that. Please read through those materials. There's a, an FAQ actually on the website, lifttogether.us, that will answer a lot of questions uh, people may have about what it is we're seeking to do and why. We also know, let me just say this really clear, we know we're facing economic headwinds. We know we're facing cultural headwinds just even trying to be the church in our time. But we are going to go forward by faith, and I want to invite you to do that with us, every one of you to do that with us as we step faithfully towards God's purposes. So just to quickly recap and set the stage, in our first week, I reflected with you about following where God leads. We started introduced the idea of these five fingers of faith, and I said the first one is to make the decision, I will follow where God leads me. And I encourage you in that first week to start praying 
that God would reveal to you personally what part he wanted you to play in the Lift Initiative, what specific role he wanted you to play. And we're going to be inviting you on February the 12th and the whole church to, to, uh, to offer a commitment card that declares what you hope to do over the next two years to be part of funding the entire enchilada of what we do as a church. And that's what the Lift Initiative is about. It's about an entire program. Everything we regularly do and a few special projects. Um, so let me underline, I'm going to say this really loud and clear. I have no power to tell you what you should do. I, I, do not have, I don't have the right to do that. Uh, um, I don't know your life story. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know where you are in your faith journey. But God does. God sees your past, your present, your future. And so all I'm asking you to do is pray. God, you show me. You show me how you would like me to be part of this. And then follow where he leads. Just follow it. He's going to take you someplace good. Last week, Tara Beth talked about the importance of trusting. It's the second finger of faith. You can't really take a, a, a leap of faith if you don't trust that God is going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. And she invited us to, to, to trust in God's provision and, and, and to trust him with the things that he's entrusted to us because God has made this promise to us in Malachi chapter three that if we will be generous, if we will invest in the work of, of, of his kingdom, then he will pour out so many blessings upon us and we will be okay. So committing to follow where he leads us, to trust him, um, to provide for us. And then I want to talk about the, th the third finger of faith today. I know that's a dangerous finger for me to stick up. But actually, that's kind of a good parallel because there's this part of all of us, I think, that, that when we talk about, this is the zone where we're tempted to give the middle finger to God or to the preacher because Jesus in this place of life is saying, I want you to prioritize me. I want you to prioritize me, my church, the work of the kingdom. I'm asking you to think about how your resources are being used and to open yourself to the possibility that you might want to rearrange some of that in order to be part of what I am doing in the world. And so that's what I want to reflect on with you, this whole concept of prioritizing uh, our, our use of resources. Now, let me invite you to, to open up in your Bible, if you have one on your phone or you brought a physical one with you, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the most famous message that Jesus ever gave. And I want to invite you to listen to Christ's words. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, to appreciate what Jesus is saying here, it's helpful to understand what he's not saying. Jesus is not saying um, the pursuit of material things is evil in itself. He is not saying that. In fact, there's a whole lot of teaching in the Bible 
that is directed towards helping us think about ways that we might use um, material things that have a direct benefit to us. Uh, For example, uh, we're told in the scriptures that we are meant to work hard in order to provide for our future. We're meant to save. We're meant to put things aside so that down the road, when we're old, uh, when there's high need, there's something there to take care of us. A famous proverb says, go to the ant, you sluggard. I love that. Go to the ant, you sluggard. And basically the idea is, go learn from the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and it gathers its food at harvest. The ant, in other words, prepares for the future. God wants us to do that. He wants to use a portion of our resources uh, to save, right? It's a good thing. Um, the Bible is also plain that we're supposed to provide for our family members. Uh, we should be thinking about how are we going to take care of our family with our material provisions. Uh, St. Paul says this, if anybody does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, and this is pretty striking, that person has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow, I mean, God really does want us to, to take care of our kids, you know, our grandkids, to be concerned about our, our, our relatives. Um, that's not a bad, that's a good thing. He commands it. And then thirdly, we're also called to enjoy the fruits of life. Uh, you know, we, when our kids were growing up, we had these little cups on the bureau. One was a save cup, another one was a, a spend cup. Because we wanted them, as the resources came in, we wanted them to be able to enjoy the good things of life. Uh, God has provided these. Paul says again in one of his letters, for everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So have fun, throw birthday parties. You know, do, do good stuff, enjoy life, receive it with gratitude. This is all part of God's good plan. It's all part of God's plan. So what, what is Jesus then saying when, when he talks about not storing up worldly treasures? I think he's inviting us to think carefully and personally and honestly about, where, uh, about the priorities by which we do all of this. Uh, because, you know, there were three cups, actually, on the bureau for our kids. There was the save, there was the spend, and then there was the share cup. And actually, we put the share cup uh, in, in, in the front of the line w- w- with our kids. So, let's talk about some of the principles that God gives us that go beyond uh, saving for the future and taking care of our family and enjoying stuff for ourselves. First, one of the big themes of the Bible is we are not to put our pride or our hope in our wealth, but in God. The thing that we are to be most proud of, I guess, in a sense, uh, in our life is the relationship we have with God. And the thing that's supposed to give us the greatest security, hope in life, is the relationship we have with God. Uh, St. Paul says in his letter to uh, Timothy, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant 
nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So think about that for yourself. Where's your pride? Where's your hope? Is it first? Is it prioritized um, properly? Secondly, we're not to be selfish or greedy with our possessions, but we're to seek to use our possessions for God's purposes, you know, in our future, in our families, uh, but also for other people. Uh, a huge theme in the, in the New Testament, which is why Jesus says, do not store up treasure for yourselves, not only for yourselves. And then Jesus goes on to give a couple of reasons why it's not a good idea to just store up earthly treasures for yourselves. And the first reason is that because the stuff that we tend to hoard in this life is painfully losable. It's painfully losable. Uh, and Jesus illustrates that. He says, clothing, the moths can take that from you. Um, and, and, and most other material objects in your life, rust can easily take that from you. And it's interesting that the Greek word for rust that is translated there in ancient times actually meant a couple of things. It meant uh, oxidation, the traditional sense of, of rust, things breaking down, uh, like our stuff always does, breaks, breaks down over time. It meant mildew, and it meant chewing rats. Right, we just hired Terminex at our house. We got this problem. You know, your stuff can be subject to these things. Even the stuff that's not as subject to that kind of decay is always at risk, says Jesus, um, at the hands of thieves. Um, you know, inflation can come in and steal it from you. A decline in the stock market can take it from you. Um, Jesus, uh, when he said that, he talked about thieves that break in and steal. The, the literal Greek uh, term that's used there means dig through. And in ancient times, houses were made of, uh, of mud brick and often the roofs of, of thatching. And, and a determined thief could, break, could cut through the mud brick and could break down through the thatching and steal your stuff. Jesus uh, says, remember that, that, that no human treasure is unassailable. Hashtag Bitcoin, right? It's not, we always, we thought that was unassailable. I think of the owner of a home that I, um, I visited when Amy and I lived in San Diego. We lived in a community called Rancho Santa Fe, which was a, an unusually affluent community. And we visited this house once that was like a miniature Versailles. It was a, just a palatial estate. And it was owned by a guy that was a, one of the underwriters for Lloyd's of London, you know, the, that, that major financial outfit. And uh, it was, this is 1991. And the artwork in that house in $91 was worth, we were told, north of 26 million. Just the artwork in the house, north of 26 million. I remember going, needing to use the restroom, and I went in. The bathroom was an art gallery. So I just had to look. What did the closet look like? I open up the closet door in the bathroom, oil paintings on the walls of the closet. This guy was like the, the, the man in the parable Jesus tells who, who, who the stuff just coming to, and he just kept building bigger and bigger barns to store all of this stuff, right? He just kept acquiring more and more. And, and then one day, 
Lloyd's of London collapsed and he lost it all. He, he would, it would probably never have occurred to him that that could happen. And yet, just like it didn't occur to the guy in the parable when, that, that, that with all these big barns that he might lose his life in a moment. And then what had his life really stood for? So Jesus is saying, just remember that the stuff in this world is, is really quite losable. But the second reason to, to not store up earthly treasures is because the stuff that God offers us can't be lost. It cannot be lost. When I uh, was 18, and, and some of you are very conversant with my story, but I, we suddenly lost everything. You know, lived in this massive home, fire. Had this beautiful family, divorce, suicide. You know, all this stuff just went. And for me, it provoked a really significant shift in which I began to look for stuff I can't lose. I began to look for, for, for relationships and for investments with my, with my energies that, that would yield stuff that was imperishable. And I think this is ultimately what Jesus is trying to say to us here. Jesus says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And the idea here is that whatever you invest for the sake of Christ, his church, his kingdom, whatever you do there is not going to be lost. Uh, in fact, I think it was Jim Elliott, a very famous missionary of an earlier generation who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. Ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? Who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Now, let me just be really clear because this is, I'm going to take a little sidebar here. This does not apply to the salvation of your soul. Your generosity, your giving patterns um, cannot save your soul. Or my, I can't save my soul that way. When Jesus is giving the, talking about treasures in heaven, um, he's talking to people who understand that if it's not God's grace that, that, that takes us to heaven, we're not going. We're not going. It's his merit. It's, it's his goodness, not ours, that gets us in. We can't check enough moral merit badge boxes to, to satisfy the, the requirements of a holy God. But Jesus has done this for us on the cross. He's given his life. He's poured out everything for us. And God has said, okay, in his name, come on in. Put your trust in him. Come on in. But there are treasures in heaven that are linked, not salvation, but other kinds of treasures in heaven that are linked to the way we live our lives now. And the Bible teaches about this in many different places. And it, and, and, it, and it says that those treasures are, God has these treasures, especially for people that do things that are very unusual, but very much in alignment with his kingdom. People who forgive a lot can expect treasures in heaven. People who, who sacrifice and suffer for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of good, can expect treasures in heaven. People who are generous in their commitment to lifting up other people can expect treasures in heaven. It's been my experience that we don't have to wait for heaven to get those treasures. 
In fact, one of the most important things to know about the whole concept of eternity in Jesus' teaching is that it's a state of being that you would want to go on forever that begins now. You enter into eternal life now. And, and one of the incredible things I've just observed over the years, and you can check this against your own experience, is, is the quality of life change that happens when someone becomes an even more committed disciple and steward. I've just seen the people in my life, um, and you'll meet a couple that I'm close to in a video at the end of this message today. They're just a deeper peace of mind that comes when you're no longer clutching stuff in the same way. Just there's a deeper peace of mind. Um, there's also a greater joy that comes from investing in relational influence above all else because that never gets taken away from you. you know? And there's just so much health that comes from the relationships of life. At the end of the day, when we're lying in the hospital bed, right, and we have nothing left anymore, and they're feeding us and they're diapering us, it's the relationships of our life we'll, that will be the wealth. It'll be the people that are loving us and that they're holding our hands, Right? And the people that get that early and invest in that direction mainly, they're just richer people in a very real sense. I see so many people who have made this move to be these, these committed disciples and stewards, and they have the sublime satisfaction of knowing they are making a difference in this world. You know, they just, they know their lives are being used for, for good. And then there's the enjoyment they feel from the gratitude that comes their way from other people who are just so appreciative of their, of, of their generosity and their witness. Uh, you can probably think of others, but people that prioritize the church, the kingdom, they're not losing out. They're actually gaining some treasure in their life, even, even now. There's also a future component to God's rewards that does await our leaving this life and going to be with Jesus face to face. And, and the Bible, you know, uses all kinds of metaphorical descriptions of that in the book of Revelation, um, which I will not go into in this particular message today. But I'll simply say to you that, that as much of a mystery as some of that treasure is, the Bible makes really clear that when we receive such rewards one day, we will regard it as treasure. We absolutely will. We will not suddenly, we will not get there, see what Jesus has prepared for us and say, oh shoot, I should have spent more money on stuff. Is that all there is? Is that it? We will not have that reaction, I promise you. The Bible says we will not, <laughs> we, will, we will instead fall on our knees in gratitude and throw up our hands in absolute awe and we will say, Jesus for this, I would have sacrificed so much more willingly if I'd only gotten it. And it's pushing us towards an awareness or towards that kind of mindset now that Jesus says these things in the scriptures. Um, it's why he, he's trying to teach us to think this way right now. Um, you're, some of you are, are, are Greek scholars. You probably know that the text is actually in the imperative. So a better reading of this text would be, um, don't store up 
treasures on earth. It's that kind of imperative. It's like as parents, and you've had this, or maybe as grandparents, you know, it's, it's five minutes before dinner is served and the kids are rummaging through the snack cabinet. And you say, don't! We got, I made this meal, don't eat that stuff. Jesus is saying, please, stop stuffing on the Fritos. I've got filet mignon and baked potato and, and, and sour cream waiting for you. Prioritize. That's the sense of this. So the bottom line here is that the followers of Jesus don't over-prioritize the treasures of this earth. They don't just have to have the new iPhone. They don't just have to have this thing. I was talking to somebody after the first service and they just read a book called Dopamine Nation. And dopamine, as you may know, is the happiness chemical in the brain. And, and it was written by a neuroscientist uh, who's, who's fascinated by the question of why Americans are the most affluent people in the world, but way down the happiness index. Why is that? Why is that? And he said it's because our brains are over-flooded with dopamine in the sense that we're constantly being stimulated by stuff and new stuff and, and more stuff. And it's over-flooding us. He says the analogy is we're like, we are actually made like cactuses. We don't need all of this stuff flooding in. But we're cactuses now living in a rainforest. And it's overloading our system and we're not thriving we're not thriving. Every time one of our kids goes off on a mission trip, they come back and they say, the first thing they say to their parents is, mom, they were so poor, but they were so joyful. You know, they had these relationships. They valued the little things. You know, they didn't, they don't over-prioritize the wrong stuff. Um, so as followers of Jesus, we want to be like that. Uh, we don't, over-prioritize the earthly treasures because we're looking higher. You know, yeah, we work for worldly goods. Yeah, we try and be good stewards of these things and employ them, but we are always focused on the greater good of God's kingdom, the greater gold, in a sense, of God's kingdom, and we're, we're aligning our lives with that sense of priority. That is, however, not all. It's not the only reason to make sure that the treasure you're focused on is the highest and the most valuable and the least losable. The second reason is suggested by the next thing Jesus says, the next verse. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your what? Your heart. That's right, your heart be also. Now, when the Bible talks about a heart, about your heart, it doesn't mean the muscle in the center of your chest. It means your will. It means your spirit. It means the, the direction of your life. Heart, will, spirit, interchangeable words in the New Testament. And what he's saying is that wherever your treasure is, that's going to be where you're moving. And, 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 and if you study where, your treasure, where, you, where you're moving in life, then you'll know that must be my treasure, that I, the thing I really value out there. So he then shifts his teaching in this lesson because it's really important to note that before he says this, he's been using, when he says you in the other text, he's talking in the plural. He's talking to the whole crowd. All, he's saying, y'all. Y'all hear this. Then when he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he shifts to the first person singular. 
He's talking to you and to me individually. He knows something about us that we actually know about us too, if we're really honest with ourselves. And that is our heart is evidenced by what we consider treasure. See what somebody treasures? Prioritizing? And you'll know, where, you'll know the real direction of their life. You know, take a survey of my, of my credit card statements, of my uh, checkbook ledger. You'll learn a lot about what matters uh, in the Meyer household, where, where we are really moving. Um, watch the pursuits that people spend their time on. And that tells you something about what they really treasure as well. Our heart, however, is not only evidenced by um, what we consider treasure, our heart is actually influenced by what we consider treasure. Whatever we set as our prize and then prioritize sets the course of our heart. It leads it to development or to decay. Um, how many of you ever heard the name John Calvin? Yeah, for those who don't, it's okay. He was a 16th century um, theologian and pastor, and he said this. If honor, and in those days it meant, that meant the praise of other people, if honor, the praise of other people, is rated the highest good in your life, then, then ambition will take over your person eventually. You will be trying to get more and more likes, more and more followers. That, that will become your passion. If money is the ultimate object, then greed will take over the kingdom, he says. If it's pleasure, then people will certainly, over time, if that's the big thing, they will degenerate into a, a sheer self-indulgence and not even realize how far into self-indulgence they've gone until maybe they go on that mission trip and talk to the kid in Mexico. Conversely, if personal integrity, he says, if loving impact, if the glory of God is the prize for you, if that's what you treasure, I'm gonna, God's going to smile. Uh, I'm, I'm going to help lift other people up. I'm going to really live intentionally. If that is your treasure, that's your focus, then that's going to condition your heart in a whole different way. And one of the biggest reasons why we have to occasionally do these like series and think about this is because when you do, when you do start putting more of your treasure out there and giving it to God's purposes... It develops your heart in such a beautiful way. I don't know how many of you remember the story I told some years ago about the, the scoundrel that fell in love with a beautiful, virtuous woman. I mean, this woman was just a remarkable person. And even the scoundrel couldn't help but recognize that. And he realizes, man, I got a problem. <laughs> There's no chance that that person is going to ever want to be with a guy like me. Uh, and that just broke, that just really depressed him. So he came up with a plan and, and, he, and he manufactured this like perfect mask, like something out of Mission Impossible, right? That was a perfect face-fitting mask and it was the mask of a saint. And then he approaches the woman and he starts interacting with her and she takes notice, and she begins to be interested in him, and he keeps going in this way, and he says the kind of things she, he believes that she'd be interested in, and talks about the virtuous uh, impulses in his life, and starts doing little good deeds, and so forth, and being more generous, and, and it works. 
she falls for him. And the day comes when, when he asks her to marry him, and she says yes. And they're in this room, and he's on the bended knee, and, the, and she's given this response when the door explodes open. And in come a whole group of these, of the other suitors, the other guys that had wanted her hand in marriage, and, and they're just so sick and angry at this incredible deception that this guy has perpetrated, and they knock the scoundrel down, and they, and they rip off his mask from his face, and everybody gasps. Because there, on the ground, is a man with the actual face of a saint. He has become the good, the beauty that he'd set his focus on. I think Jesus is just asking, where are you focused? I want to lift you to your God-given potential, Jesus is saying. So focus on the things of heaven, on love and faith and compassion. And I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't done or will not do for you. Remember those hands stretched out on the cross. The Apostle Paul says, set your hearts on things above not on earthly things. He says elsewhere, whatever is noble or noteworthy or pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things and the God of peace will be with you. When I was a new Christian, I, I learned this song that stuck with me. Maybe some of you heard it. And, and it said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim by the light of his glory and grace. So here's the truth and then I'm gonna let you go. You and I are living in the midst 24-7 of the greatest materialism machine ever assembled in human history. Does anybody doubt that? It is constantly churning and trying to make us, to form our heart into something not pretty, not good. Um, Jesus has a word for that machine, and the word is mammon. You can't serve God and the machine, mammon. And he personalizes the power of the machine with this word mammon. Um, it's a spiritual force, said Jesus. It's bent on one thing, owning you. It's going to master you. They even call it master card, right? It's, it's at least honest. Um, and if you think about it, think about all the, the relentless calls to, to shop, to acquire, to store, to organize it better, 
to, to keep dusting it, to be discontented until you have the next version of it, to, to constantly get newer and more. Think about the noise of the machine trying to grind you up to shape your heart in a certain way, to keep the machine going. And remember, again, God's not against material things. He expects us to take care of our families. He wants us to enjoy the fruit of our labors. But he also wants to see us lifted up. He also wants to see us have a heart like his. He also wants to see us lifting up other people spiritually and materially. And guess what? He's chosen the church to be those hands. He gave explicitly the commission to his followers. Be those hands in this world. The local church is not a profitable business. It is not a wildly endowed 501c3. It is not some institution amongst other institutions. It's not just one charity amongst others. It's his chosen instrument for lifting people up spiritually and materially until he comes again. That's who you are. That's who you are, Christ Church. Wow, that's why I feel awestruck. Every time I'm in your presence. So I invite you to do what I will do with you in the days ahead. Wherever Jesus leads me with that commitment, I'm in. I will follow. I will trust him to provide for me as I do it. I will seek to prioritize more than I even have been to be an agent of his kingdom. And I will not let the weight of worry crush me as I pray you will not let the weight of worry crush you. Why? Because he has a grace that is greater than the gravity of life. And people that have felt that grace are just so ready to be the vessels of it in the lives of others. As this couple, the co-chairs of our LIFT initiative, will tell you themselves. My name is Mary Warren, and I have been attending Christ Church since the mid-1980s. And I'm Victor Warren, and I've been attending Christ Church since the summer of 1969. I think the, the greatest thing about this church is the fellowship here and the friends you develop who do life together with you. I was able to meet some incredible people, some great influencers on my life who walked with me through my family struggles, my business struggles. We had made a typical trip to Florida for the winter and we had just arrived that day and we were out to dinner and I got a phone call. It was my, our daughter-in-law in Colorado Springs. I was told our son was shot and he was in the hospital and that his partner was dead. The one thing I remember about that moment was walking back from the restaurant after hearing this news, feeling extremely just helpless yeah. because we didn't know the condition of our son. We were lost and our friends gathered around us, we prayed together, and it was one of the most amazing 
moments I've experienced with the Lord. Those friends were just truly powerful in the words that they offered to us. Just supportive in every way that we could imagine. I don't, I don't know what we would have done if we were just the two of us getting that call. I had a struggle with alcohol and was involved in a small group. There was a man in that group that had been through a similar situation. And with the help of this group of men, they gave me the courage to face my issues and come to grips with it. As I think about the support I re we've received from our friends, it motivates me to want to pour myself out a little more purposefully to others. I don't think human nature is necessarily begins with generosity. And, and there is a transformation that takes place as you're obedient. Like many that I've talked to, I now give with a much more joyful heart than I did when I first started giving. I understand the impact that it has. I understand the needs that need to be met, the resources that need to be provided so that we can continue the good work at this beautiful church. It never occurred to me that there's something beyond the tithing that there's a second part to this obligation of stewardship of what we've been given, the gifts we've been given. It goes beyond the tithing, and it's a reach, and it's, it's having faith and understanding that blessings come from that faith. My great hope of the LIFT initiative is to continue to expand our impact in local missions. I want to see our culture get even more invitational. Grace is greater than gravity. We can lift more people up in our communities. That's what excites me about LIFT.